I would oftentimes see someone almost die every single day. So really realizing that life is short and you really want to make sure what you're doing with your life is something that makes you happy and provides meaning. And so similarly, I think when you're evaluating different paths, it's everything is not going to always be greener, but just really making sure that you're doing something for the right reasons and that you feel good about it. And ultimately, you don't want to have any regret. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable young professionals of color killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel Weninger, proud Texas Latina, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we dive into a special guest story and hear all about their challenges, milestones, and lessons learned. If you're a young professional of color and you're feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 28 of season one of the Early Career Moves podcast. Today, I'm really excited to introduce to you Manasa Murthy. Manasa's story is really cool. She was a, or still is a pharmacist. She has her PharmD from the University of Arizona. And for several years, she was a clinical ICU pharmacist working in super high intense, you know, situations in hospitals. And on this episode, she's going to talk about what that career path was like, what it took to get to that point, and also why she decided to take a step back from being a pharmacist and decided to get her MBA to pivot into more of a healthcare strategy role. And today, Manasa works at HEB, which is a pretty big deal grocery retailer in Texas, and she's leading their healthcare strategy. And yeah, it's just like been, you know, behind the scenes working on a lot of healthcare initiatives. So really excited to share her story with you. I think her last point at the end of the episode, she talks about her perspective on career and how being a pharmacist has informed her perspective in terms of taking risks and not having any regrets. So make sure to tune in for that. But yeah, enjoy this episode. I think it's just really cool to see behind the scenes what it means to be a pharmacist, what it takes to get there and also what it's like to step away from such a prestigious career. All right, enjoy. Okay, everyone, today we have a very special guest. We have Monisa Murthy and super excited to welcome you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Priscilla. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and get us started by sharing a little bit about your personal background? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm originally from Southern California. My parents are from India and they immigrated here and live, have lived in the U.S. pretty much longer than they've lived in India now. So I grew up in Southern California and growing up, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. My whole family is pretty much kind of a bunch of doctors and healthcare providers. So I always was interested in that space. My dad's a dentist and he would do a lot of community work in a lot of rural areas and was also a professor at a university. So I was really interested in a lot of the science behind behind that and what it brought, but I was always really scared of blood. And so I hated going to the doctor or the dentist and, and all of that. And so when it came down to going to college and deciding what I wanted to do, I, I always knew I wanted to do science, but I was like not into going into medical school or nursing school or dentistry just because of the blood aspect. And we happened to have some cl- close family friends who were pharmacists and they weren't retail pharmacists. They worked in hospitals and her, and the husband was a 
professor at a local pharmacy school. So I got to shadow them. And I thought that was a really interesting field to play in the science field, but not have to be directly involved in patient care. And so with that, I decided to, you know, embark on a pharmacy career. So I was debating between where to go for college and growing up in California, generally, I always thought, you know, the UCs are where I'd end up, but randomly applied to the University of Arizona because at the time they had a really good pharmacy school and they also had this pre-pharmacy program. So I applied, not thinking much of it. And then, you know, I was accepted, but they also gave me a pretty big scholarship to go. So I figured, why not change it up? And I mean a pretty big decision to go out of state without knowing anybody and decided to go to U of A for undergrad. And that was a really great experience. So that's a little bit background, I guess. Yeah. So with the farm D, like, what does that path look like? Like, do you have to start in undergrad to, to get your farm D? How does that work? Yeah. So farm D is, is very like a similar pathway to an MD or a DDS. So you need to do undergrad first and then apply. So it's a graduate degree. The nice thing about pharmacy school, though, is you can do a lot of the prerequisites and still apply for a PharmD, but it's become pretty competitive. So for me, I finished undergrad in in two years and applied, but there were only two people with that. The majority of people had an undergrad degree. And I think more so now everybody fills, you know, finishes a four-year degree and then applies to pharmacy school. And then pharmacy school itself is four years after undergrad. Okay. So you were in school like six years total? Yeah. So I did six years. And then after that, I within pharmacy, there's a lot of different options. I think people traditionally think of retail, you know, CVS, Walgreens, but there's a lot of other roles for pharmacists outside of the retail setting. So whether that's in the hospital or an ambulatory care clinic, so clinics that help you with chronic disease states or research or even in pharma. And so for me, I always knew I wanted to be a on more on the clinical side of pharmacy, because oftentimes you learn a lot in pharmacy school. It's the same, it's the equivalent of medical school in terms of duration, but you don't necessarily get to use all those skills in the retail setting. So I knew I wanted to go on the hospital side of it. So I decided to pursue a residency, which is generally how you can be more specialized in pharmacy school. And the residency process is again, very similar to medical school. So it's a match system. You interview with a bunch of hospitals and then wherever you match, you go. So that it can be anywhere from one to two years. And so back then, did you think like, this is going to be my forever career? Yeah, back then I did because I still think pharmacy and a lot of these healthcare professions have a lot of opportunity and, and reach within them. Like I mentioned, within pharmacy, there's a lot you can do. And I ultimately specialized in critical care. So working in ICUs and whatnot. And I thought, you know, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Because even within that, there's kind of a career ladder you can grow ultimately to like have your own ICU or have a mix of patient care and leadership and even teaching. And so that's really what I set my goal out to be going out of graduating from pharmacy school. Yeah. I honestly had no idea that there were pharmacists and ICUs. But now that I think about it, that makes total sense. Um, (laughs) People don't realize, because again, you always think pharmacists are just retail, but like in the ICU setting, your average patient has anywhere from 20 to 40 medications. And so you think about it in medical school or nursing school, they probably get one to two semesters of pharmacology. So even though they're great, you know, from a physician perspective, you really have the skills to diagnose and assess the patient. The, The therapeutic side is really where the skill of the pharmacist comes in. Understanding the evidence behind how you treat and what you should use is really important there. What do you think people, like young people, should know about pharmacy school? What are the things that they should be prepared and get ready for? I mean, I think very similar to all of these healthcare degrees, they're all pretty competitive to get into, but it's 
I think they're all worth it. There's a lot of opportunity within the healthcare field. And pharmacy school itself is not easy either. There's a lot of science and whatnot that goes into it. But I think what they should know is I think the field of pharmacy is also really growing and changing. And it's an interesting time now more so to be involved within it, especially as you look at some of these trends in healthcare where, you know, when I graduated, so I graduated pharmacy school 10 years ago. I was pretty young when I finished. And then a lot of the trend was go to hospitals and you can get more specialized. But now when we think about healthcare, there's a big focus to try to make it more localized, essentially to help improve outcomes and save costs. And so you can see that with the changes in retailers where you know, even things like companies like CVS and Walgreens are trying to bring medical care within the retail footprint. And with that comes changes in how pharmacists practice, which ultimately, in my hopes, is to drive towards more of the skills that that we've learned in school and not be just focused on dispensing medications, but really using more of the clinical knowledge that you learn. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And who do you think is a good fit for this career, like in terms of strengths or interests? I mean, I think now it's really interesting. I think before it was, you know, more of a focus on science and the ability to learn and and distill down information because there's a lot of information you learn within pharmacy. But I think a big, a really important skill within pharmacy, regardless of where you work, is the ability to communicate. Working in hospitals, for example, everybody knows what the role of a physician is, what the role of a nurse is. The pharmacist's role can change depending on where you are, because even the idea of a clinical pharmacist, meaning a residency trained pharmacist, is not widespread or the same model everywhere. And the ability to communicate your knowledge and provide recommendations in a meaningful way is ultimately how you can drive value for for patients. And so I think communication is a really big key aspect that we might have the best recommendation, but if you can't communicate it, that's a really important skill. I think another one is an analytics ability to understand how things come together, especially now and more and more of that is driving the trends towards pharmacy. And it's really interesting when I have students, they're learning a lot more analytics within pharmacy because, you know, the pharmacy space itself is really being disrupted by a lot of these, you know, D2C companies companies and even tech companies. So I think if you could have those skills, you can create your own career or a changing career than what we traditionally thought of as pharmacy. And so now take us to the point where maybe you finish your residency. Like how old were you at that point? And what was your first job like as a pharmacist? Yeah, so I did two years of residency. My first year was just a general pharmacotherapy residency. So that's really how you understand how hospitals work, working with, and you're essentially rounding with different medical teams, just like you do when you're a medical resident. So that's how you get you know, really good training and just that's foundational to understand how healthcare is provided in a hospital setting. The second year is where I specialize in critical care. So working in nine different ICUs, you know, the pediatric ICU, the neuro ICU, cardiac, all of those, because there's a lot of nuances on how you treat those patients. And so after that, I had an ICU job. So I'm, like I said, I'm originally from Southern California. I did my residency in Northern California at UC Davis Med Center in Sacramento. My first job was at Cedar sinai in LA. And there they have, I want to say six, I forget now, six ICUs. And I would rotate between all of them essentially. And it was a really cool experience because as you were, as you start to realize like each hospital has its own kind of way of functioning and protocols and whatnot. So Davis, where I trained, had a huge, you know, ICU kind of population. We had burn, different kind of patient populations and a lot of trauma. We're at Cedars, Cedars-Sinai. There's a lot of other level one trauma centers there. So there's like UCLA, USC, all within kind of a short distance. So 
Theaters was really interesting because one of the things that was different is they had a big transplant population. So we did a lot of cardiac transplants and kidney transplants and liver transplants. So I got to basically see different types of practices and that was really valuable. So a lot of exposure in your first two years. Yeah. And just learning about how people practice differently and even just different kinds of cares. You know, Cedar sinai is an interesting hospital because again, you have celebrity doctors who can come in and practice where UC Davis is your traditional academic teaching center where it's much more protocolized and research heavy. So just learning about the different fields of how these systems work was just really valuable. So working in the ICU sounds very high pressure, like a very high pressure environment. Did you thrive in that or what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I enjoy that. So for pharmacy, I think ICU or emergency medicine, two of those are probably the more kind of high pressure environments because you're, again, like I never worked in a pharmacy. I wasn't touching drugs. You're rounding with teams and telling them what they should prescribe and monitoring kind of patients and working very closely with physicians and nurses and other allied professionals. So it's really cool because you have very hands-on experience with that. And I mean, the irony is I didn't go into these other fields because I didn't like blood, but working in the ICU, you pretty much see blood everywhere you are and you get accustomed to it, but it is high pressure in the sense you have to be able to make pretty quick decisions. And especially when there's kind of code blues where somebody's lost their pulse and the pharmacist's role in that is really anticipating the drugs to drop and help understand like what's the reasoning behind these codes. So you play a pretty big role in that as well. And there's also like no margin for error, right? In this role or what does that look like? I mean, I think the value of having a pharmacist within, especially the ICU, I guess you can say is again, evaluation of appropriateness of therapy. And so you do are there as a way to not only recommend and provide guidance there, but also, yeah, to your point, be there as a way to reduce errors. And I think that's a really big value that pharmacists bring to healthcare in general of understanding how we can minimize medication-related errors. And that happens very often in, in the hospital setting or in the healthcare system in general. And so, yeah, you there is that pressure of like really making sure when you're verifying a medication that it's appropriate and there's not issues that are going to cause it. But I think you get used to that as you work. So it's a fear that lessens as you become more and more, you know, confident in your mm-hmm. skills. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So obviously you're no longer a pharmacist that's practicing, right? How did you get to the point where you started to even think about leaving this career behind? Yeah. So I'm still, I mean, I still have my licenses. So I still have my pharmacy license in both California and Texas. I don't practice clinically. And like I said, I never you know, really envisioned going outside of the profession. But like I said, I graduated pretty early and I worked at various health systems. So the most kind of recent hospital system that I worked at before transitioning was um, Ascension Health or in, in Austin. And the health system there is called Seton. And I had a pretty interesting role in the sense that I had my own ICU of 24 beds, but I also had more of a leadership role. So it was this dual thing where in addition to taking care of patients, I was in charge of clinical guidelines and network for the entire network of hospitals in Austin. So there's 12 of them. And with a lot of these health systems, the focus is really on improving efficiencies and outcomes, but also minimizing costs. And just in healthcare, there's such strong, there's a lot of waste that happens. And there's a big effort to reduce reduce the waste and improve outcomes for patients. But what I was finding when I was working is a lot of my time was focused on how do we cut costs? How do we cut costs? And a lot of that's great, but sometimes it's not necessarily best for patient outcomes. And when you work in hospital settings, what you quickly realize 
is the people oftentimes making the decisions are not clinicians themselves or people in leadership. The people in leadership are generally MBAs or MHAs, but a lot of them have never really taken care of a patient. And so although I loved working in patient care and had really strong relationships with all the you know, physicians and nurses that I work with, I started to get really annoyed by just how, how a lot of these decisions were making being made. And a lot of it came down to dollars and cents and not necessarily outcomes. And then a second piece of the decision, I guess, to transition to a different role was I felt like being in the ICU, I saw the sickest patients. So we would always take care of them. We'd fix them essentially or make them better. And then they'd be discharged only to find that a week or two later, they'd be readmitted. And the point of that is that we weren't really solving an underlying issue. It was just, okay, they came in for heart failure. We'll treat them by getting rid of fluid. But then the problem is not that, that they had the fluid in the first place. The problem is that they're non-compliant with their medication. They're non-compliant with their diet or a lot of these underlying things. And nobody's really doing that well. So those two things combined made me complain a lot, essentially. And my husband's like, stop complaining about it, do something. And so I decided I probably should get these skill sets to have more of a leadership role beyond pharmacy, but more on the hospital or healthcare lens. And that's when I realized I really didn't have the background to understand the financials of healthcare and some of these other things that impact it. So I decided to go and apply for business school. And you talked about coming from a family of a lot of doctors, and this was just maybe it was expected for you to go this path and stay in this path. Was it a scary kind of decision to make or to let them know about this change or was it pretty natural? Yeah, it actually was because like I'd worked pretty hard to get to the role that I was. And I was fortunate in the sense that when I moved to Texas, the role that I got would have been a role that would have taken me probably 20 years if I had stayed where I did my residency because there's so many trained clinical pharmacists. You know, and so it was a pretty nice job in the sense that working in the ICUs, I didn't have to work weekends or nights, which doesn't really happen, especially in critical care. So, and then in Austin specifically, like there's not as many jobs for highly trained pharmacists or residency trained pharmacists. And I was at the place where they employed those people. So I was essentially giving up my job to do that. And so it was a very, you know, it was scary at the time because I'm like, I had this nice job. There wasn't really anything wrong with it, but I just felt like I wasn't completely happy and I knew I wanted to do more. Okay. So now talk to us about the MBA like experience for you. How do you think it helped you equip you for what was next? I think the MBA, like for me, Again, my background was completely science-based, right? So I had never even taken any business classes. Like I didn't even know what accounting was or what do you learn in finance besides like how much money you have and very basic understanding of these things. And so for me, I think a lot of it was extremely valuable as, especially now as we think about how healthcare is changing to understand how you can make impact. Like you really do have to understand the dollars and cents and what's happening from a macroeconomic perspective. And so I think business school was really helpful to get this broader context outside of just taking care of patients and how hospitals work for me to understand, like, where can you actually move the needle? And so when you were thinking about like your summer internship and what kind of roles you would have after the MBA, how did that evolve for you over time? Yeah. And so, again, like going into business school, I was like, well, I know I want to do something in healthcare. I want to do something where I can have an impact and I want to do something where I can both use my clinical experience as well as whatever I'll learn in business school. I didn't really know what that looked like. And so all throughout business school, I was just trying to put my hand in anything that was healthcare related and thought, like, understand, like, is this meaningful to me? Is this something that's actually going to drive impact and something that's going to make me happier than what I was doing before? And so I tried different things, but for my internship, I um, was at, I tried pharma, pharma essentially, 
because I felt like there was a lot of opportunities in the pharmaceutical space. And it seemed like there, I'd never really given that a shot, even in pharmacy school. So I was like, why not? So for my internship, I was at J&J and I did a marketing strategy role within uh, Janssen, which is our pharmaceutical arm of J&J. And I focused on one space, which is immunology, which is one of their highest growing areas within the company. And it was just really interesting to see how marketing works, especially from the lens of a pharmaceutical company, how they leverage, you know, their physicians and pharmacists and just marketers and data to do different things. So it was really interesting to be on this other side, because another thing that you do as a clinical pharmacist is you do a lot of cost containment. So you're trying to think through, like, how do we make sure we're not spending a lot of money on these expensive drugs? that don't really move the needle on outcomes. And so a lot of what I did was police that to some extent because I was really well-versed in the evidence behind it. Now here at J&J, my role was being on the opposite side to be like, how can you get this past these hospital formularies mm-hmm. where they want to pay for these? You know, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to understand the other side of it. Okay. And so I know that now you're the director of health and wellness at HEB, which is so cool. Lots of Texans just like love HEB. What, is, what does that role look like and how did you land this role? Yeah. So it's an interesting story as well. So like I said, I really didn't know what I wanted to do post B-school. And I was just applying for a lot of different things that had some kind of healthcare flavor or opportunity within them. So looking at consulting or pharma or even like more on the startup or VC side. So I was open to a lot of things and trying to recruit as well, which is really hard. And also was trying to stay within Austin or Texas in general. And so that kind of narrowed a lot of my opportunities. And the HEB option came up really out of luck, I would say, because I was pretty involved with a lot of the healthcare stuff at McCombs. And and one day, the COO of HEB, Martin Otto, he routinely comes to McCombs to speak. He's really into teaching and education. And so he was at the marketing fellows talk, and, and he's really just passionate about healthcare. So I think he was talking about HEB and what they're doing for the community. But I think He also went off on this discussion around healthcare and how there's a lot of waste and there's a real opportunity to provide more efficient offering of healthcare and ultimately move the needle for outcomes. And so one of my friends, Mario, was there and I think he was also really interested in pursuing HEB as an option post-business school. So I was walking outside of McCombs and he's like, hey, Masa, would you ever be interested in working at HEB? And to me at the time, I was like, well, I know they have pharmacies and they're probably doing something in the space, but I wasn't really sure what they were doing. So I was like, of course, why not? You know, why not? So he's like, send me your resume. And so he sent it to Lamar, you know, who's a professor at Marketing Fellows. And he's like, this looks good. And he's friends with Martin and just sent it off to Martin. And Martin sent it to their recruiter who basically sent me a bunch of interviews for a job that I didn't know what I was interviewing for. So that's how that (laughs) happened. So cool. Definitely like a preparation meets luck type thing. Yeah, I would say that for sure. (laughs) Okay. And so when they finally told you about this role, how did they sell it to you? And what made you say yes? Yeah, I mean, so I had these ideas of what it would be. And again, like, I didn't even know what they were thinking of what this role would be. And they offered me two different roles. And this one was more of a customer facing role of ultimately, like, how does HEB play in the health and wellness space from a customer lens. The other role was more kind of clinical operations. We have clinics that we're hoping to scale as well. And so for me, I felt like I had done more of the healthcare stuff, even working in the hospitals, and this seemed more of a challenge. I was really excited about this role. And so where we see this, I guess, this role or where we're playing is our ultimate goal is to, you know, really be a destination for customers in our communities in Texas. We serve such a 
broad population in Texas itself and have a pretty big footprint here. And we think we can really leverage a lot of our businesses and offerings to, to ultimately move the needle on health for our, our communities through with a primary focus on food first, but also providing solutions through clinics, pharmacies, our dietitians, as well as just how well integrated we are with the community. And so my role is really in charge of the strategy behind all of that and how does it all ultimately come together. Everything from building that journey and what what that looks like to our end user customer across these businesses, but also how digital and data and marketing and all of those kind of supportive businesses help support that come to fruition. And so this probably felt like such a different kind of role that you had ever had, right? What has the adjustment period looked like for you? I know you've been there now for a year, right? So I actually started during business school. So my second semester, I started as an internship, but mainly I was like, I don't know anything about groceries. Let me just try to learn about it. And I ultimately just ended up doing my full-time job then. And it was nice to really learn and meet people early. So yeah, so I started in business school, and I guess almost two years now and a half, I guess you could say. What has what have been like the biggest learning curves for you? I mean, I think it's different learn working in a business setting, obviously, than straight healthcare. Here it's a matter of working with different business stakeholders to make sure we're aligned with goals and communication again is key. So that I think that's a similarity. But a difference is even if you have an idea, you really have to make sure that idea has legs. So backing it up with financials, data and having a real strategic point of view is really important. So I think that was, you know, what I anticipated, but that I would say is, is different from working in the healthcare setting where you're just going patient to patient or working on projects. But here it's like working across a lot of different stakeholders. And I think especially working at a big company like this, realizing how many people work on so many little details that I never realized until I worked in, in retail itself. So what excites you the most about what you're doing now? I think I'm most excited about just the opportunity to actually create impact. Like I said, I think the biggest stuff for us, our biggest piece is like, how do we really play starting with food? Because I think food plays such a role in chronic diseases, both from how we prevent them, but also how we treat them. And if you think about the populations in Texas, we have a huge population of diabetics, overweight populations, and we're primary grocery store in those towns. And nobody's really doing anything to address those things. And I think if we can start to get enabling people and communities to understand how you can eat healthier and live better without kind of the guilt and judgment that people traditionally feel around food, it really can help support that and move the needle for our customers around health. And then that combined with these services, so specifically pharmacists who are providing more clinical services outside dispensing roles, our dietitians who have more expertise in, in more detailed or specific dietary lifestyles, as well as just our clinics, which are much more focused on holistic care than kind of this fee-for-service model. I think all of those things combined can really move the needle. And so I'm excited about how this can actually come to life. That is really cool. And I wonder if HEB is one of the few grocery retailers that are really thinking about this. Have you seen this across the country? Have you seen other models that are doing this? Yeah, I think a lot of it's interesting. I think a lot of different retailers are starting to see this and it's not just grocery retailers. It's even non-traditional retailers like companies like Best Buy that are trying to get into healthcare, And then your other companies like tech, which just see a huge margin in waste and an area to disrupt. Like I said earlier, I think people are starting to, to see the value of localized care. And that's where a lot of grocers are starting to understand like, hey, is there an opportunity here, especially because a lot of them already offer pharmacies. 
I think where we can probably win is just the heart that we have for a lot of what we do, which shows in a lot of our products and the experience at HEB in general. I think sometimes when you go to other retailers, especially because they have a national footprint, sometimes that personalized feel doesn't come across. And I think that's what you really need also in health to make people feel seen and make them want to change their behavior so that they're ultimately healthier. I love that. Okay. So my last question for you, what advice would you give to someone who might have been, might be in your shoes that you were in when you were considering going this different path? Like what kind of tips or advice or things would you have them think about? Yeah. I mean, for me, like, again, so one thing that I really valued about being in the ICU is this, this idea of like just perception and how you, your view of life. I would oftentimes see someone almost die every single day. So really realizing that life is short and you really want to make sure what you're doing with your life is something that makes you happy and provides meaning. And so similarly, I think when you're evaluating different paths, it's everything is not going to always be greener, but just really making sure that you're doing something for the right reasons and that you feel good about it. And ultimately, you don't want to have any regrets. So using that framework to decide what you think, because at the end of the day, like even when I went to business school and embarked on this path, I was like, okay, well, suppose I just like suck at business school and I fail and all of this. Worst case scenario is I could still try to find a job as a pharmacist somewhere. It might not have been the ideal pharmacy job that I had pre-business school, but at least I tried. And so really trying to frame that perspective, I think would be really helpful. So it doesn't seem as daunting of a jump because I think you essentially can do anything you put your mind to. And even for me, going to business school was scary. I didn't know anything. And then I was in this room full of people who are accountants or came from banking or marketing, all these really core business skills that I just didn't even know what these people did. And so I think if you put your mind to it, you really could do anything, but just really having that perspective at the end of the day, you should be happy with your decision. This was such a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Priscilla. Thanks for tuning into the Early Career Moves podcast. Be sure to visit ecmpodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and become a part of our newsletter community. And if you love this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Talk to you next week.